Welcome to the Forward Day-by-Day podcast, brought to you by Forward Movement. We're glad you're here and hope you'll share us with your friends. Today is Sunday, June 26th, the third Sunday after Pentecost. Our scripture today is from the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 9, Verses 54 and 55. When his disciples James and John saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them. The impulse to destroy our enemies and those who do harm to us and those we love is perfectly understandable and even scripturally supportable, if you look in the right places. Certainly, James and John are subject to it, seeking revenge on the Samaritans who refuse to allow Jesus into their villages. We don't know exactly what Jesus said in his rebuke to them, but a mere thirty or so verses after this event, Jesus tells the parable of the Good Samaritan, the gold standard of what it is to be a good neighbor. There are forces in this world that work to foment enmity among people and would have us confuse mercy for weakness. Jesus stands in opposition to those forces. He doesn't allow his disciples to rain fire on the Samaritans because he doesn't have a fixed view of his enemies. No one is beyond the reach of his redeeming grace. Pray for the Episcopal Church of Sudan. Moving forward, as you attend worship today, offer special prayer intentions for your friends and perceived enemies. I'm Brendan O'Sullivan-Hale, author of this month's Forward Day-by-Day Meditations. A morning resolve. Let us pray. I will try this day to live a simple, sincere, and serene life repelling promptly every thought of discontent, anxiety, discouragement, impurity, and self-seeking, cultivating cheerfulness, magnanimity, charity, and the habit of holy silence, exercising economy and expenditure, generosity in giving, carefulness in conversation, diligence in appointed service, fidelity to every trust, and a childlike faith in God. In particular, I will try to be faithful in those habits of prayer, work, study, physical exercise, eating, and sleep, which I believe the Holy Spirit has shown me to be right. And as I cannot in my own strength do this, nor even with a hope of success attempt it. I look to Thee, O Lord God my Father, and Jesus my Savior, and ask for the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
Amen. Thanks for spending part of your day with us. Join the discussion about today's devotional at prayer.forwardmovement.org, where you can also find a full list of today's scripture readings, more daily prayer resources, and information on how to subscribe to the print edition of Forward Day by Day. This podcast is produced by Forward Movement, a ministry of the Episcopal Church. Make a donation or explore our full catalog of books, small group studies, and personal spiritual resources at forwardmovement.org. May God bless you and those you love this day and always. Second Kings two and one through two and six through fourteen. Second Kings two and one through two, chapter two, verses one through two and verses. 6 through 14. Now, when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. Elijah said to Elisha, quote, Stay here, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha said, quote, As the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. Then Elijah said to him, Stay here, for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. But he said, 
as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. Fifty men of the company of prophets also went and stood at some distance from them as they both were standing by the Jordan. Then Elijah took his mantle and rolled it up and struck the water. The water was parted to the one side and to the other until the two of them crossed on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me what I may do for you before I am taken from you. Elisha said, Please let me inherit a double share of your spirit. He responded, You have asked a hard thing yet if you see me as I am being taken from you. It will be granted you. If not, it will not. As they continued walking and talking, a chariot of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them and Elijah ascended in a whirlwind into heaven. Elisha kept watching and crying out, Father, Father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. But when he could no longer see him, he grasped his own clothes and tore them in two pieces. He picked up the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. He took the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water, saying, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah. When he had struck the water, the water was parted to the one side and to the other, and Elisha went over.
message. This article is rather lengthy. It's from the website ibw21.org. The letter I, like Ida, B like boy, W like water. The numbers 21.org. And the name of the article is There's No Freedom Without Reparations. There's No Freedom Without Reparations. Dated June 23rd, 2022. Written by... Fabiola Cineas of Vox, F-A-B-I-O-L-A, Fabiola Cineas, C-I-N-E-A-S, Fabiola Cineas Vox, V like Victor O-X. Quote, keeping the promise of 40 acres and a mule might have transformed life for black Americans. A movement to secure payments for descendants of enslaved people rages on. Born into slavery, Henrietta Wood was legally freed in 1848 in Ohio when she was about 30. She only basked in that freedom for five years. In 1853, a white sheriff empowered by the Fugitive Slave Law abducted Wood and sold her back into bondage, taking her on a journey from Kentucky to Mississippi and finally to Texas where she'd toil on a plantation through the Civil War. Though President Abraham Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation in 1863, Wood did not regain her freedom until 18. 66 months after Union soldiers traveled to Texas on June 19, 1865, Juneteenth, to enforce emancipation. Wood, whose path-breaking story was only recently surfaced, returned to Ohio 
and sued her abductor for $20,000 worth more than $440,000 today. In the lawsuit, she claimed that because she had been abducted, sold back into slavery, and lost wages, about $500 per week, she was entitled to payment. After eight years of meandering litigation, 12 white jurors in a federal courtroom in Cincinnati found Wood's claim valid and assessed her damages at $2,000, The final decision was just a pittance compared with what Wood demanded, but... 144 years later, it remains the largest known payment ordered by an American institution in restitution for slavery. Wood's story was widely covered at the time for its singularity but fell out of the news as white Americans tried to distance themselves from slavery and its aftermath. Yet the questions that Wood's victory raised then are the same ones hanging sullenly over America today. Quote, Who will recompense the millions of men and women for the years of liberty of which they have been defrauded? An 1878 New York Times article about the court's decision asked, quote, who will make good to the thousands of kidnapped freemen the agony, distress, and bondage of a lifetime? What the writer recognized was the growing call for reparations that began at the close of the Civil War and continues to this day. When slavery ended, the federal government promised to provide, quote, 40 acres and a mule. An idea proposed by 
black leader, leaders at the time to nearly 4 million recently freed men and women. The effort would have redistributed land previously owned by the Confederates, giving the formerly enslaved a chance to own their own land and become economically self-sufficient until the government after Lincoln's assassination reneged. That early proposal helped establish the concept of reparations as compensation to be paid to black Americans for slavery. When it was overturned, the struggle for reparations only grew. Activists such as Callie House led a movement after Reconstruction and into the early 20th century to demand pensions for poor and aging formerly enslaved people, suing the federal government and arguing that it owned it owed owed ex-slaves $68 million H.R. 40 a federal bill named after the federal promise more than 150 years ago for 40 acres of land was introduced in Congress to a to task a commission to study and develop reparations proposals. But it has floundered in the House for more than three decades, leaving advocates wondering why America is still keeping freedom freedom out of reach. At the beginning of May, a coalition of organizers, including the National Coalition of Blacks for Reparations in America, in COBRA, Color of Change, and the Black Voters Matter Fund, sent a letter to President Joe Biden to demand that he create a federal commission by Juneteenth to study and develop reparations proposals for black Americans. The administration had not responded to the coalition by the time this article was published. The demand 
the continued organizing for racial justice and the recent recognition of Juneteenth as a day of national importance, calling for solemnity as well as celebration have all brought a new wave of urgency to the centuries-long reparations debate. Quote, We need something much more substantive than the Juneteenth federal holiday. We need reparatory justice. And we need it now, said Nkichi Taifa, the director of the Reparation Education Project, a nonprofit organization that teaches about reparations. And one of the signatories of the letter. Quote, Our communities are crying out for it. Our communities are demanding it. Close quote. Over time, a more comprehensive reparations framework has emerged. In addition to cash payments, true reparations would be a program of, quote, acknowledgement, redress, and closure for a grievous injustice, including slavery, legal segregation, known as Jim Crow, and ongoing discrimination and stigmatization. In quote, economist William A. Darity and folklorist A. Kirsten Mullen argued in their 2020 book, from here to equality, reparations for black Americans in the 21st century. Decades of demands on the federal government to atone for the harm it inflicted on enslaved people and the resultant racism, discrimination, and segregation that cripple the black community today haven't moved federal leaders to act, not toward acknowledgement nor apology nor toward the kind of redress that economists say would be necessary 
to level the field for black Americans. Darity and Mullen estimate that restitution in the form of direct cash payments would cost the American government $10 trillion to $12 trillion or about $800,000 for each eligible black household. The payments could eradicate long-standing racial disparities in wealth, health, income, education, incarceration rates, and overall quality of life, experts have argued. Quote, We don't have reparations right now because America isn't sorry. We have not had an adequate apology for slavery, end quote, said Edgar Villanueva, founder of the philanthropic organization Decolonizing Wealth Project, which funds reparative giving efforts. Quote, there's a deep-seated fear of even the word reparations and a related scarcity mindset around America's unwillingness to grapple with its history that connects back to colonization. So instead, we're, we're experiencing the rewriting of history, the banning of books, and a fear of truth-telling. If the federal government's commitment to reparations is doubtful, at the local level, a movement is gathering. Asheville, North Carolina's city council established a community reparations commission in 2020. That year, Providence, Rhode Island's major signed an executive order to pursue a, quote, truth-telling and reparations process, end quote, in the city. Burlington, Vermont, established a reparations task force and Wilmington, North Carolina, considered doing the same. 
the following year also saw momentum. California launched its Reparations Task Force in 2021, while separately a group of mayors, mayors organized for reparations and equity, pledged to pay reparations to small groups of black residents in their cities to show the federal government what is possible. Greenbelt, Maryland, voters approved a commission to study reparations, as did Detroit voters and the New York State Assembly. Other forms of repayment that some have called reparations are worth noting. This year, in Evanston, Illinois, 16 black families were selected at random from a pool of applicants to receive up to $25,000 in tax-free grants that can be used to pay for a home, pay off a mortgage, or make home improvements. Almost 100 years after California seized a black family's Bruce's Beach property via eminent domain. The state agreed to return it to the descendants of the family who owned it. Finally, a judge last month ruled that the three known living survivors of the 1921 Tulsa White Mob Massacre could move toward, could move forward with their lawsuit seeking reparations despite motions by the defendants including the city of Tulsa to dismiss the case. If local leaders can find the space to grapple with reparations, why can't the federal government? At a federal level, President Biden's evolving stance on reparations illustrates the country's glacial pace of change and glaring unwillingness to engage in the reconciliation that would bring healing 
and closure to the people it has harmed. In a 1975 interview, he criticized the idea, quote, I do not buy the concept popular in the 60s, which said, quote, We have suppressed the black man for 300 years, and the white man is now far ahead in the race for everything our society offers. In order to even the score, we must now give the black man a head start or even hold the white man black, hold the white man back to even the race, close quote. As Biden campaigned for the presidency in 2020, however, the nation saw what may be the largest uprising against systemic injustice after a white police officer murdered George Floyd in daylight and he embraced the idea he meaning Biden President Biden he embraced the idea of studying reparations but in the past two years as he navigated his priorities and failed to garner enough congressional support to pass some of the biggest agenda items, his administration has put the idea out of view. Beyond the few local lawmakers and federal officials who already back H.R. 40, support for reparations in general remains low. In 2014, 68% of Americans polled by YouGov, Y-O-U, G-O-V, YouGov, opposed financial payments to black Americans as compensation for slavery, Jim Crow, and redlining, while only 15% supported them. Recent polling found similar results in 2020, 63% of Americans polled by ABC News and the Washington Post opposed cash payments, while 61% were opposed in 2021. Yet in 2020, at the height of the Black Lives Matter protests, more people than ever, 76 
50% of Americans surveyed agreed that racial discrimination is a big problem in the United States. Smaller scale local programs help keep the reparations dialogue going and may bring the country closer to a wider scale reparations program but they fall short of the country's national imperative quote no amount of material resources can ever compensate for what black folks went through whatever ends up happening is going to be a negotiated settlement Taifa said quote whether reparations make a material difference or not the fact is there's a debt that is old and a debt that is do. If I choose to just keep the money under my pillow and never do anything with it, that's my right. Close quote. Major questions motivate the activists and thinkers pushing for reparations. Where would the descendants of enslaved Americans be if it weren't for the more than 200 years of forced labor? Does the United States want to live up to the ideals and exceptionalism it has touted for centuries? More than any logistical quandary about reparations, these questions lie at the heart of the fight. They get to the center of what America represents and whether it has the power to truly change quote our national debt is already now up to around 26 to 27 trillion dollars given the money we're spending on COVID close quote Michael Tanner a senior fellow at the conservative Cato Institute told CNBC in 2020 about paying reparations 
Well, and we're losing more money because we're not picking up the revenue because economic growth is so slow right now. This hardly seems the time to burden the economy with more debt, more taxes. Essentially, what you want to do is stimulate economic growth for all our benefits, close quote. But most reparations advocates agree that stimulus plans that stand to boost all Americans won't close the black-white wealth gap. They note that the formation of the republic after slavery intentionally excluded the formerly enslaved and their descendants in the decades after. During the Reconstruction era, blacks were routinely disenfranchised while the New Deal and GI Bill later also failed to fully include black people. Even the passage of civil rights legislation didn't open the door for America to fully grapple with racism. Questions about who should be eligible for reparations and how much are to be paid remain. Some believe that only descendants of people enslaved in the United States who can prove their lineage that at least one ancestor was enslaved can be eligible. California's task force, for example, decided that only residents with direct lineage to people formerly enslaved in America should be eligible for reparations. The plan mapped out by Darity and Mullen adds that eligible recipients must pass an identity standard. They must be able to prove that they self-identified as black, Negro, or African American for 12 years prior to the enactment of a reparation plan. Others believe that 
eligibility must be more inclusive, arguing that black people who are third, fourth, and fifth generation in the United States could be part of the global network of enslavement that saw their ancestors enslaved in the Caribbean or South America. They, too, have suffered under American racism and discrimination. Quote, the system of enslavement was intertwined to the point that we do not know and could never know for certain if one's ancestor was not harmed by U.S. enslavers and the U.S. government based on a geographical North American residence of enslavement, close quote. In Cobra activists wrote in a memo, There's also discussion about the window for the reparations claim. Should 1619, the year enslaved people landed in Jamestown, Virginia, be the beginning date for the claim or the year 1776 when America was founded, what would constitute reparations? Some have argued that reparations don't have to be direct cash payments, but can take the form of programs like housing vouchers, as in the case of Evanston, Illinois, or educational grants, as in the case of Georgetown University. The university has said it would help the descendants of enslaved people pay off school debts, an effort to contend with the fact that its founding relied on stolen black labor. Some warn, however, that these limited programs can muddy efforts to secure federal cash payments. Quote, reparations seems to be all over right now, but as we have these discussions, we have to be cautious to not to water it down or let reparations be co-opted, in quote. Villanueva said, Many also believe that there is a grave need for a 
truth-telling effort that makes way for an apology. Without acknowledgement and a formal apology from the federal government, there can be no closure. Though Henrietta Wood got money that helped her raise her son at the turn of the century, she never received an apology from the man who re-enslaved her, nor did she get an apology for being born into a system that reduced her to bondage. Instead, Wood's abductor tried to deny his crime and even boasted about growing famous for having bought one of the, quote, last slaves, close quote, before the end of slavery. Quote, he cannot escape the law which will follow him and his property into the remotest nook of the republic. Close quote. The New York Times wrote of Wood's captor. Why should America
Oh.